Welcome to 10 Minute Law, a bonus podcast where in about 10 minutes, we break down the laws and policies that entangle the people in our multimedia series, Temporary. In the latest Temporary podcast, we met a man we've called Kumar, who came to Australia by boat from Sri Lanka. Sri Lankans were especially targeted by a policy called enhanced screening. Enhanced is an odd word for it. Isabel McGarity was Kumar's lawyer at the Refugee Advice and Casework Service, or RACS. So I started at RACS in 2013 as a student. So I was doing my legal training through RACS. And when I came, I was put onto a project called the Enhanced Screening Project, which uh, had no idea what that was. And basically it was a really crazy time in Australia where boats were arriving from Sri Lanka and the Labor government and then the Liberal government had employed this strategy to really quickly screen Sri Lankan clients and determine if they had any claims kind of on the face of it then they would be screened in and if they didn't raise claims then they would be screened out. And what did it mean to be screened out? And what that meant was that they would face deportation immediately back to Sri Lanka before they were even allowed to apply for a protection visa. So it's a bit like what we're seeing in the US now with the way that Trump is deporting people without actually hearing their applications. So it was a really stressful time. I was kind of incredulous that this was happening in my country. I had no idea. And at this time, this so-called enhanced screening policy applied only to Sri Lankans? There was an agreement between Sri Lanka and Australia that people could be returned quite quickly. And so it was kind of a way of dealing with numbers and really quickly processing people. People, Sri Lankans, who had been picked up at sea and then brought to Australia, where they were immediately detained, right? So everyone who was subject to this was in detention. Including Kumar. He was detained at Wickham Point at that time, which is in Darwin. So we would get calls every day, multiple calls every day from Sri Lankan people who had been told that they're at risk of being deported back straight away. And most of these people wouldn't know what was going on. They weren't being told they had a right to seek asylum or to legal advice. But with the help of RACS, Kumar was now screened in and he was trying to help new asylum seekers, tell them how the policy worked. He was a real organiser inside the detention centre and he would organise groups of both Sinhalese, which is his ethnicity, and also Tamil people who were kind of faced with this enhanced screening policy. And he'd get their names to us, their details. He set up an email address in his boat ID, which is amazing, and had his signature. And he was just such a professional, just dealing with so many distressed people while he was facing the stress of being deported himself. So at this time, Everyone from Sri Lanka had to explain why they needed protection pretty much right off the boat very quickly. Can you talk about how that affected people and their claims? There was a lot of fear during this time that claims would get back to Sri Lanka, so a lot of people didn't feel safe articulating their claims wholly. But if you didn't, then you were at risk of deportation immediately. And that was kind of justified by the government by saying, well, these people are economic migrants. Our experience of talking to people who were engaged in this process, if you can call it a process, was that they you know, were often really frightened about articulating why they'd left Sri Lanka. They had reasons, and those reasons were almost always politically um, related or related to their ethnicity. We're talking about people whose country had just finished a civil war where ethnicity played a huge role. But 
From your point of view as a lawyer at the time, were there other challenges? Phones would drop out. At this time as well, nobody had a mobile in detention. So it would literally be a landline calling us. And there's only so many of those phones as well. So only so many people could call us at any time. And of course, then getting an interpreter can take a while. So if you've got a time limit on that phone call, or if you've got a deportation notice, it's so time critical. So you're trying to get the reasons that somebody can't return to Sri Lanka in a really quick way, but make sure that you articulate them correctly so that you're not going to prejudice their application further down the track. So it was like a lot of really quick work and very risk fraud, I guess. Super high stakes, and yet this process, this enhanced screening, was not really spelled out in legislation. It was like crazy kind of frontier lawyering where you're just trying to get in all of these details of people and try your best to fight a system that wasn't very clear to us either because it's not actually part of the application process. It was this very arbitrary, cloaked, secret deportation process. I think the fact that there was so little policy out there about this process and that it kind of happened outside of the assessment of a refugee's claims that made it really, really difficult to understand how we could be effective and how we could help clients who were calling us in the most dire of situations and with the utmost panic. Yes, they're panicking. And at the same time, as we heard in Kumar's episode, on Christmas Island, the calls cut off after seven minutes. I don't know whether that was an intentional thing, but yeah, so we'd get people, we'd try and get their details in over like seven minutes. So you would answer the phone and you'd have somebody, often they would ask firstly for an interpreter and you'd try and get a sense of their name before you tried to get an interpreter because you just weren't sure how long you had. You were doing this intake really quickly. What's your name? Who are you with? In one sentence, you know, why can't you go back to Sri Lanka? So it was like this panic of trying to get this information out. And then we'd be faxing forms to the detention center, which was also a nightmare in itself. Um, You can only send that by fax. Back then we had an actual physical fax so you had to physically go and fax these documents and you had to hope that Serco would get it to the client and that the client would sign in the right spots. Sometimes a client might miss one signature box and you'd have to refax it so there was a lot of admin work, a lot of paper that you had to deal with which is kind of funny because it was so time critical so you're rushing. Here is where I think we need to pause and remember that under the Refugee Convention that Australia signed and in fact, in large part drafted, we cannot send someone back to a country where they are in danger. Now, this enhanced screening process doesn't sound like a system that safeguards that. Isabel, do you think people who are genuine refugees who were in need of Australia's protection got deported as part of this? Absolutely, there would have been people deported who could have engaged Australia's protection obligations. More than a thousand people have been screened out and returned to Sri Lanka since this system was introduced. Some were later found by UNHCR to be refugees. Some were reportedly arrested on arrival back in Sri Lanka. The enhanced screening process has been expanded to people from Vietnam. Thanks so much for talking to us, Isabel. 10 Minute Law is edited by Eleanor Buckley with audio support from Syra Arias. It's part of a Caldor Center multimedia project about the legacy caseload called Temporary. You can find out more at the Caldor Center website, caldorcenter.unsw.edu.au.
I'm Lauren Martin. Thanks for listening.